Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Um, all right, Builder Series, still. Um, the title of today's message is Rededication, and uh, before Herb came, if you will recall, maybe you need to go back and listen, uh, but we talked about the kind of the culmination of the, of the reconstruction of the wall around Jerusalem, accomplished it in 52 days, it was really a miraculous thing. And uh, I want to just bring this part back to your memory, that the work is never done until God receives the glory. And, I, and I, I need us to remember that, not just for today, not just for this series, but you actually, as, as a child of God, need to remember that for the rest of your days on this earth. It's not over until God receives the glory. The work is never going to be finished until God receives the glory. And, and the projects of life, you, you, you can know that some of those projects come to an end when God, when God gets the glory and it's time to move on. There are seasons in life where God needs to get the glory and then you get to move on. I don't want you to get caught in the thinking that everything we will ever do is perpetual until, you know, until we leave this earth kind of a thing. But, but there are seasons and there are some things where the seasons are lifelong. There are some things where the seasons are relatively short. But always remember that it's not done until God gets the glory. And, and that's so important because things, things that God does, they, they culminate in the reality that he is the one who is going to get all the glory. He deserves it all. He is worthy of it all, as we've been singing about this morning. And if you don't understand how worthy God is, I, I just got to submit this to you this morning. You just don't know him well enough yet. If you don't understand that he's worthy, you haven't spent the time with him to realize how good he is in your life. And it's not because there's something wrong with him that we don't understand that right away. It's because there's something wrong with us. We have a sin nature that prevents us, that blocks us from seeing God as he really is. He's veiled to us because of our sin. And it's so important that we come to moments in our life of rededication. So, it's so important that we, we walk through life and, we, and we, we suffer the consequences in some cases of sin. Not the eternal consequences, but, but the present, the, re, the, the real life, real time consequences of doing the wrong thing. Because that's how we learn our lessons in life. But then it comes to the place of restoration, of rededication, of coming back to the Lord and returning to Him what belongs to Him from the beginning. And so, you know, rededication is, is, is something that I think we, we see practiced all through Scripture many times over and again. Even in the New Testament. I mean, Peter, who should have been the best disciple, turned out to be the disciple in the most need of rededication when it came to the night before the cross, when he turned his back on Jesus before the rooster crowed three times. You remember the story. If you don't, read the Gospels. You'll catch up with us. And, and rededication is, is this reality in humanity, that we need to come back once again. And, and, and it's, it's never a long time between points of rededication because human beings have proven throughout the history of humanity that it's just never a very long time before people forget what God has done. That's why in the New Testament church they were called to encourage one another daily, to encourage each other all the more as the day of the Lord draws near to us. Because we are actually forgetful people. And our praise is often removed and the thing that takes its place is complaining or it's frustration, or it's understanding or becoming aware of the lack of whatever it is in our life. And it's something that in the past years of my life, it's become particularly frustrating to myself, to me. When I catch myself in these moments of, of forsaking the goodness and the glory of God for some inadequacy that I'm seeing around me. And I see lots of inadequacy. These poor souls that are working on the highway construction between Grovedale and Grand Prairie. My drive, every single time I come to this blessed town, is, is being interrupted by the most inefficient, disorganized group of contractors I've ever seen in my life. And if you work for them, I'm sorry. But you see, we, we get into these funks and these situations where, where we, we take our eyes off the good thing the Lord is calling us to, and we become focused on the things that are going on around us. And this is Humanity 101. This is man left to his own devices every single time. That God is somehow forgetting us. That God is holding out on us. That he has somehow forsaken his promise. And we forget what he spoke. We forget what he taught. And over and over again, the history of man, the history of Israel, 
The story is written many times over. Man sins. God makes a way in his mercy. Man is forgiven. Man forgets. Man sins. And that cycle just continues perpetually. Sometimes before a single lifetime or a single generation passes on. Sometimes it's just a few days. I mean, if you recall in the Old Testament, Moses gathers the people. They assemble the people. The smoke comes down from the mountain. And Moses treks up the mountain to meet with God. And he meets with God in a way that no man should be able to meet with God. God has to hide him in the cleft of the rock to protect him from his glory. Moses comes back down the mountain with these tablets of stone on which, on which are inscribed the law of God. And what does he come back down to? He comes back down to the Israelites all worshiping a golden calf. And in a temper tantrum, like any good leader should have, he breaks the stone tablets like flies right off the handle, loses his mind. What the heck is brother, his own, like Aaron, the guy he should be able to trust, his like brother of brothers, is leading this insane pagan celebration? How quickly can man forget the goodness of God? I mean, there were probably still some Egyptians drowning in the sea, and they were forgetting already what God had just done. Peter forgot what Jesus had done, the healing of blind eyes, opening of deaf ears, the woman with the issue of blood. All those things that Peter, in the moment that he betrayed Jesus, that he forsook Jesus, they just, God help us in our fallen nature and in our failure to remain dedicated to the things he's called us to. So the title of today's message, as I said, is Rededication, because we are constantly in need, it seems. Um, I wanted to take off from this, from our reading in Nehemiah. I brought my Bible with me this morning just because I'm worried some of you don't think I read it or use it. I do. And although the electric copies are really wonderful and really easy to flip back and forth through, even though the light is bad, I actually went almost this far this morning to not put notes up for you so you would have to, that you would have to read from your own hand the Word of God. And I just, I just, let me just hit pause for a second. In this day more than ever, if you are not reading the Word of God from your own hand, you are missing it all. You're missing it. If you are not recalling the Word of God from your own heart, you are deficient as a son of God. And it's a really simple thing to fix. Just start getting it in you. Just get it in you. So that when you're squeezed, what comes out of you is the word of God, okay? Get, get it in you because the days ahead are, are perilous days. The days ahead are days of trial and they are days of, of, uh, that are going to require a persistence. There are days that are going to require you to become persuasive of God and of your brother and your sister and your neighbor. These are days that God is equipping his church for because he is about to do something great once again. He's about to pour revival out on our part of the world. He's about to pour out healing and miracles and signs and wonders. And if you're you're not on this train yet, don't miss it. Get on. Tickets bought and paid for. You just need to acknowledge that you are deficient, that you are a sinner. You need to put your faith, your hope in Jesus and get on this train with us. So I want to read this morning, picking up in Nehemiah chapter 8, and um, Nehemiah 8, 8 and 9 actually is where we're going to to start, and this is is what it says. Um, If you really love Jesus, you'll read out of the NASB. Just just kidding. It's it's been my favorite translation since before Bible college. It still is today, and uh, it's a little old school because in the Old Testament, there's some hasts and didsts in it. And, uh, but, but it's still, I think their slogan is accuracy you can trust. They updated it too. I know it's more modern now, but if you get 1995 or previous, 1977 is a really good one. Anyways, um, here's what it says, Nehemiah 8, 8, and they read from the book of the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra, the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord for your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. 
All right, here we have a typical scenario in us and God. Okay? So they read the book of the law. They had to translate it to give sense to it because no one understood the reading. The reason for that was the, re- the reality of this was is that most of these people at this point in time were, were uh, exiles. They had been exiled to Babylon. And now under the reign, I believe it was Artaxerxes of Persia, they were, they were being brought back, repatriated to their homeland. And if you can just imagine what that's, what that's like, if we took all of you and moved you over across the world to, to France, and so for an entire generation, for 70 years, all of the babies that are going to be born in that time are going to grow up speaking French, like Parisian French. And, and then we're going to come back and be repatriated to our homeland, and nobody understands Hebrew anymore. Nobody understands the nuances of the language. Nobody understands. Nobody has the culture of the word in their heart anymore. And it was difficult for them. So it wasn't just enough for them to stand up and read the word of God. There were actually leaders who had to stand up and start teaching it again. And this is kind of an amazing thing because from the day of their captivity where Israel fell to Babylon and they were taken, out of, they were taken away from Jerusalem, from that day to the present, there was no reading of the word of God in the temple. There was, the Bible actually says that until the land endured its Sabbaths, they were, they were out of there. And, that, and the land of Israel had to rest and it had to recover because God's principle for you and I on rest is there is rest or there is death. That's it. You will either learn to rest or you will either stay a slave. That's the principle. And you got to get that in you because it will save your life, I promise you. The reality of the law and what it does and what we see here in Nehemiah chapter 8 is that the law is the teacher of death. And I know right away in the New, in the New Testament church, because we're sanctified by Jesus and we have life and life abundantly and all those things, we, and, and, and rightly so, we refer to Old Testament law as the law of death, and actually the Bible calls it the law of sin and death. And we hold that in such a negative context sometimes, but you always have to remember, Galatians, it's actually Galatians 3 that reminds us, Galatians 3.24, that the law is our teacher or it's our guardian or it's our custodian until Jesus came. And so that same law that Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites were, were presiding over and reading to the people, that law was pointing out sin to people. It was pointing out the sins and the shortcomings and the failures of the people who were assembled there. And as a result, they begin to cry, they begin to weep, they begin to have an emotional response. Now, we need to keep this in mind that Old Testament law does ultimately lead to life. And we, and we know that because King David wrote often about it. He understood that the word was a light to his feet, a lamp unto his path, that the law of the Lord was perfect and it delighted his soul, that the law of the Lord was a delight to him, that the law of the Lord was actually life-giving. And it is life-giving, but remembering that in the Old Testament, it's our tutor, it's our teacher, it's our custodian, our guardian, until Jesus comes. So it's not diminished in its power. And it's not a new thing for people to come into this confrontation with the law of God. In fact, maybe in this day and age, we need that more than we ever have. I don't think the kind of evangelism that works is, hey, just give Jesus a try, bro. I don't, I don't think that's evangelism that works. The good news of Jesus is this. You're a sinner, just like I am. And every one of us has fallen short of God's perfect, glorious standard. And the good news is that while we are fallen, he is the atoning, the perfect, the righteous sacrifice that stood in our place so we wouldn't have to die for our sin. And he took the punishment of our sin upon himself, the punishment that we absolutely deserve. And he carried that before the Heavenly Father and made propitiation. He made the sacrifice. He made the adjustment that was needed for us to be classified as righteous in the eyes of God our Father. See, the good news about Jesus is not good news if you're not a sinner. That sucks. But it's the truth. Wes, the good news of Jesus isn't good news if you don't need it. And the good news is that you're a sinner and you needed Jesus. And now that you have Jesus, you're righteous, not sinful. See how that works? Hey, Wes, just give Jesus a try. 
I don't think it works. I don't think it works. I think that we need to look at the history of humanity and realize when we acknowledge our sin, God moves on us. Uh, Pastor, I really, I, I just can't pray. I just don't feel God. Have you acknowledged your sin lately? Have, have you read your Bible lately and acknowledged what it says to you as it tries to breathe life, as it tries to pound on your chest and force the breath of God into your mouth and into your lungs so that you will be revived by the power of God's word? Have you done that lately? And the answer, I think, if we're being truthful, is, well, not exactly. We wonder why the heavens are closed. The Bible says that the heavens are closed to the prayers of the wicked. We can't offer the prayers of the wicked to a holy God and expect him to answer us in our day of trouble. I am enamored with this process that happens. As the word of God is being read over the people, and they are comprehending it. They're understanding it because it's being taught and retaught. Okay, I, you got to get this picture in your head. It's like if I'm up here and you, you've never been here before and I'm speaking a foreign language to you. Oh, bonjour, qu'est-ce que vous faites Oh là là, bonjour. Qu'est-ce que vous Oh. And you guys are going, yeah, I, I want to have faith. And somebody needs to pray that you also may interpret, of course. And, and, and this is what was going on. It's, they didn't understand. And so the Levites and the prophets, the, the, the men, the leaders of the spiritual family of God had to step in and had to start reteaching the law. They retaught the Bible. This is what it means. Oh. They had to... They had to they had to repatriate the souls of the people, not just the people. And what began to break out was a sort of repentance. And this is what gets interesting to me. The Word of God is being read, and, the, and I can just see that the, the Spirit of God begins to move on people. Because wherever the Word of God goes, the Spirit of God is present as well. And he began to move over the people in the day of Nehemiah, the governor over Jerusalem, Ezra. And the people began to weep and the people began to mourn because they began to realize the sin that had taken place. They began to realize where they had not been faithful. They began to realize where they had been missing the mark. They, they, I mean, I mean they, they started doing the Romans road. They started going through the steps realizing, I am, I am a sinful man. I've fallen short of the standard. What do I do? What do I do with this? And they began to respond. The problem we see, though, is that, and it's not a new thing, that when the law confronts people, when the Holy Spirit comes with that discipline role in our lives and begins to confront things, we begin to repent rather quickly. Like right away, we feel like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry, and the tears begin to flow. And I'm not going to say that's a bad thing at all. I mean, some of you should be more emotional as you repent, but not become emotionalist. Some of you who are far too emotional need to, need to get some depth to your tears because it's too shallow. And this is the problem that takes place is we have people then who stand off from each other watching what God is doing. Oh, well, that person's just emotional, so it means nothing. And then the emotional person's looking at the non-emotional person going, they're a stone. They don't even feel anything that God wants to do. And God's going, you're missing the whole point. It's not whether you're emotional or unemotional. It's whether or not you change and align yourself with what I'm telling you. Whether the tears flow or they don't flow doesn't matter. What God is after is the alignment of our hearts because his goal by his spirit is to conform us to the image of his son. That's what God is doing. If you don't know what God wants to do with your life, Pastor, I don't know what God's dream for me. Here's God's dream for your life. God wants to conform you to the image of Jesus. Well, I don't want to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Well, that's because you think Jesus is a pussy, and he's not. He is a mighty warrior dressed for battle. 
He is clothed in white with a flaming sword proceeding from his mouth, riding a white horse, coming for a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle. He is coming to rule and to reign and to stand in judgment over the nations. See, the Jesus you were believing in is kind of a, well, he's a wimp. That's not my Jesus. Come on, man. Who doesn't want to be conformed to the image of that son? Come on. Jesus loves me, this I know. Do you understand, church, it's the same Jesus? <laughs> that this mighty, valiant warrior is also the lover of my soul. And he is the definition of gentle and humble and kind. But if you mess with him or you mess with his bride, woe, woe to you. So in our broken understanding of God's law and our broken understanding of who Jesus is, we, we get into this emotional kind of response or non-emotional response if you're a real stoic kind of person. But, but I want you to pay attention this morning uh, specifically here in verse, uh, verse 10. Because Nehemiah steps in. And maybe there's a deeper principle I'll just comment on really quickly. Understanding Nehemiah is the governor. His role in this assembly, his role in this society is actually a, it's a, it's a political leadership role. And, and, I, and I, I don't, I'm not sure why I even feel the need to stop on this and pause on this today, but I do understand that we need to understand the structure of church. We need to understand the structure of community. We need to understand the structure of family more than ever. There is a structure to what God builds because he's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order, the Bible says. And so Nehemiah as the governor, not as the prophet, not as the main teacher of the law, but as the governor says, hey, whoa, everybody stop crying right now. If you're a dad in the room, you know what this is like. Because we've all done this with our kids at some point. Whether we were right or wrong, what do we say as dads? We're like, you stop crying. If you don't stop crying right now, I will give you a reason to cry. <laughs> My poor little girls. That made it worse. Oh, boy, did that ever make it worse. Please don't yell at me, Daddy. They didn't need, the girls didn't need spankings. Just a stern look. Actually, that's not true. Anakin needed spankings. Um, <laughs> listen, so the reality is that the law points, oh, sorry, I've been there. Here's Nehemiah 8, 10 to 12. Um, then he said to Nehemiah said to them, go and eat the festival foods, drink the sweet drinks, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. So in other words, go and have the party, and if there are those among you who don't have the means to party, share with them. Okay, simple, right? You're with me so far? So, so send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For, and this is the important part, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your refuge. So the Levites silenced all the people. You stop crying. Stop it. No more crying. You take a big breath. You be a big boy. You can choose how you feel. That's what Randy used to say to me, my dad. <laughs> Randall used to, and you know what? He wasn't wrong. My dad many times in my life said, son, you can choose how you feel right now. I think mom said it too. And they were right. Everything you feel, just so you remember this, is a chemical reaction taking place in your head. It is actually not as powerful as you always think it is. It's, it's just your body pumping chemicals through your brain. So the Levites silenced all the people saying, be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. Then all the people went away to eat, drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great feast because they understood the words that had been made known to them. Now listen to this. The culmination of their understanding ended with the celebration. Because the first thing they heard was, you fell short, you've missed it, you have. And God, it's almost like God had to press pause on the whole thing. Hey, Nehemiah, we need to stop this right now. You need to have a talk with these people because they're starting to miss the point. I have brought you back from captivity to Jerusalem. I have a plan. You need to stop whining. You need to stop crying. You need to stop beating yourself up because I am working my plan of salvation from the beginning of your existence to the end of your existence. 
God is trying to get our attention, church. He's trying to help us understand that, that, that yes, you made the mistake, but you did not move his hand. Oh, Pastor Trav, you don't know how bad I made mistakes. You're right. I might not know how bad your mistake was. But I do know the goodness of God. And I do know his ability to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I do know those things. So they go and celebrate rather than mourn. Because when they understood it all, when they understood, oh, God is bringing us back to this land. Oh, God promised to bring us back here. Oh, God is actually fulfilling his promise to our generation. God is actually doing what he said he would do. You see, then their weeping turned into joy. As it was explained to them, parents, your kids will not figure this out on their own. The church will not figure it out for them, parents. Your job, parent, your job, parent, is to declare the goodness and the works of God to the generation you are raising up. We'll help you. But it's your job. And when these people understood the words that had been made known to them, then they were able to celebrate. Because at that time, it was the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Pentecost. And they hadn't done this. Now, just so you guys know, when they went away to celebrate this, according to the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, when they went away to celebrate this particular festival, it had not been done the right way since the time of Joshua. Now, if you wonder whether or not God is patient, let me tell you what we're reading here says God is very patient. <laughs> they had been messing this particular holiday, or you might think of it this way, this holy day right? They had been messing this one up since, I mean, Joshua was the last time it had been done right. That's a long time. That's a lot of kingdoms. It's a lot of generations. That's a lot of people come and gone. I need you to understand that as the words began to be made known to them, the change began to take place in their heart. See, discipleship was and always has been a slow process in the minds of men. People get impatient. They rush in. They rush out of God's presence. They miss the restoration that takes place here in this, in this time we have together. Rushing in, rushing out. This is why we teach people all the time, yes means no. Whatever you say yes to means you're going to be saying no to several other things. When you say yes to a sports team family, you're saying no to other opportunities. And it's okay to say yes to things. But don't do it foolishly. You need to weigh and consider the cost of everything you do. Because everything you do has great value. Because the time you have been given is truly a gift of God. And the children you have been given are truly a gift from God. And so how you manage that time matters greatly. Discipleship being the slow process that it is naturally causes us to become more and more impatient with it. And this is why we rush in, we rush out. Well, the pastor's preaching too long today. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to come back. Well, just wait a second because I have permission from the Word of God this morning to preach a lot longer than I do. We're going to get to that in a minute. Um, we, we begin to arrive to church with some kind of emotional ideology that defines our expectation, which is totally backwards. You should come with expectation and let, then let what God does define your emotion. You got me on that? Lots of us are coming, allowing our emotion today to define our expectation. And what would be the right thing to do would be to come with expectation and let what God does define your emotion. Trust me, it's a way better trade. It is a way better deal if you do it that way. Um, people get impatient, they rush in, they rush out. They miss out on what is actually good. The discipline of discipleship is amazingly valuable. The process of, of this rededication, for instance, that we're talking about this morning in Nehemiah, the process of this rededication took a long time. And I think that one of our major problems today in our society is that we want the process of dedication or rededication or the process of commitment to be real fast. Microwave popcorn. 
that fast. I want to push one button. I want my life to be on track. Not going to happen. Oh, I just need to do these two or three things, and then, you know, I, I should be a leader. I should be this, or I should be a that, or this should come. Guys, it doesn't work that way. I, I invite you to go try it anywhere you want, any place, any job, any business, any church, any group. Go try it. It won't work. Because the process of discipleship is a discipline that takes time, and the value of it is revealed in the time that it takes. You see, the process of this dedication was weeks, not minutes and days. Now, Ezra began, the Bible says, if, if you, you, know, you have to read back a few chapters, but Ezra began reading the word on the first day of the seventh month. Okay? So, I can't remember what the Hebrew calendar month was, Shabbat or something like that. Um, I think it was Shabbat. I, I don't know. I'm just guessing. Um, now, here, here's Ezra begins reading on the first day, and the people immediately respond, right? We read that in, in 8, verse 8. He, he starts reading. People are like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm undone. I'm wrecked. This is, oh. Nehemiah says, hey, chill out, everybody. We're going to have a party first because of what good things God is doing. Now, listen to this. Neither of says, stop this, have the we're going to have a party because this is a holy time, this is holy days. And they did that then until the 24th day of the same month. So they started reading and repenting. The, repent, the, the Spirit of God, if you will, fell with the Word of God on the first day of the month. And then 24 days later is when they were actually ready to repent. See, and here's what happens is you and I come into the presence of God and we make vows and we make promises to the Lord and we, we do it flippantly. Well, I feel God moving on me, so this, that, that is what will make the change in my life. No, it's not. You feeling the presence of God is not what does the change. The presence of God living in you and dwelling you and changing you is what makes the change. And please understand, that does take time because we are stuck in the realm of time. Now, there are instantaneous miracles. There really are. I've seen them. I've seen, I've, I remember the first time I ever saw a, a wrecked joint come back into it shape. It was like, a, it was a twisted ankle on a mission trip with a bunch of kids. I said, kids, here's how you pray for the sick. And I'm like, I hope I'm right, Lord. And I had a, what, I can't even remember what it was. Tice, maybe you remember, 20, 25, whatever it was, teenagers, gather around this one little girl, girl her name was Cody, and she had just, she had absolutely destroyed her ankle somehow, and it was sitting there, and the bruising was already starting to come. Ten minutes in, the bruising was already starting to come into her ankle. I tell you what, those kids all laid hands on her, and they prayed with a faith that almost makes me jealous. And you know what happened? The swelling like that began to go down, and the blueness of that, the bruising actually began to fade immediately. And within five minutes, she was walking around like it hadn't even happened. I have seen God do things instantaneously. But a more, more often than not, in the lives of people, I see God do things over a process, a period of time. A period of time. Can you just get your head on the, around this and your heart around this this morning? That, that although the people of God in Nehemiah wanted to repent and they were feeling it, man, they were feeling it on the first day. We need to get right with God. God says, slow down. Just be in my presence for another 24 days, and then we're going to get to that part of it. And so Israel did. The people of Jerusalem, they did. They listened to the leaders. And they went and they, they celebrated the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Pentecost. They celebrated it together. They ate. They drank. They, they ate. The Bible says they ate the fat and they ate the sweet. You know what that means, guys? Steak and cake, steak and cake, steak and cake. <laughs> Come on. There ain't no party like a red meat party. Eat the fat, eat the sweet. For 24 days, they celebrated the feast that God had ordained for them. And then we get to, we get to this part of repentance that's so important. Sorry, I don't even think I gave this to you in the notes this morning, but I want to read it to you anyways. It 
Nehemiah 8.18. He read from the book of the law of God daily, from the first day to the last day. So for all those days, he read from the book of God. And they celebrated the feast for those seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dirt upon them. Church, there is a place to humble ourselves and come to process repentance. It's, it's, it, is, it is vitally important. I mean, if we don't turn from our sin, what was the point of acknowledging our sin? You know, you know what I mean by that? Maybe some of us don't actually know what that means. Because kind of your salvation does really hang on that. Like the whole, the whole lordship of Jesus is kind of the overruling factor in the saving of Jesus. What I'm saying that is that can Jesus really be your savior if he's not your Lord? Because the Bible doesn't give that as an option, just so we're clear. The Lord, and, and listen to me, heaven is going to suck for you if you don't like the lordship of Jesus. Because for all eternity, guess what heaven is going to be? It's going to be all of the billions of people who put their faith in Christ celebrating his lordship. So heaven will be hard for you. Maybe that's why Dallas Willard actually taught that sometimes hell might be the best God can do for some people. Interesting thought for another day. We can't rush in and rush out of God's presence thinking change will come. We have to get into God's presence. And the process of rededication looks like time over time. What else looks like time over time? Relationship. Relationship is time spent over time. It is like the mantra of this church. This is, this is what we say in every little side meeting we ever have. Relationship is time over time. When will you get it? Relationship is time over time. It takes time for a relationship for form, to form. It takes time for a relationship to build. It takes time to know someone and to be known by someone. Relationship is time over time. And the process of dedication is also time over time. What would it mean if I take something of great value like one of my children and say, Lord, I dedicate this to you, throw it on the altar and walk away? Well, obviously it wasn't much of a dedication and obviously what was being dedicated was of very little value to me. That which we dedicate that is of value will take us time and it will take us process and it will take us some energy and some life. It'll take us some blood, some sweat, some tears maybe to be able to lay it on the altar and walk away from it. When Abraham offered his son Isaac to God in obedience, what do you think that dedication looked like? Well, maybe God will give me other sons. Do you remember the story? They couldn't have kids. This was the miracle child. This is what dedication looks like. Dedication looks like you taking that which is most dear, most valuable to you, and laying it on God's altar. And if you can do that flippantly or lightly, let me assure you of one thing. It is not valuable to you. The tears we have cried in our prayer times over our children saying, Lord, we trust you with them. Whatever you call them to do, we're going to choose to trust you, God. Whether we're okay with it or not, we're going to choose to trust you. We're going to choose to trust you. We're going to choose to trust you. Because I can't see the future that God has for those children that I love so much. And so to dedicate them to the Lord cannot be a flippant thing. And in the same way, when you and I come to dedicate our lives to him once again, to dedicate ourselves to a call or to a vision or to an opportunity, it cannot be a flippant thing. Because if it's flippant, there was no value. Dedication from God's perspective looks an awful lot like Jesus. Offered up to death on a cross. That's, that's what dedication looks like from God's perspective. His begotten Son, one and only. So Israel spends these days in celebration so that they can come to the days of fasting, prayer, worship, and repentance. 
they came wearing sackcloth and dirt on their heads. And I just tell you this, that it's impossible to repent from a place of pride. Now listen, some of you are trying. This church is right full of people where people are actually trying to repent, but they're trying to repent from a place of pride. It won't work. And it's, it's, it's just a symbol for you and I. You don't have to show up to church next Sunday wearing sackcloth and ashes to prove your repentance. You don't have to come with dirt thrown on your head. In fact, please don't come to church wearing just sackcloth. Unless, uh, no, never mind. You just don't have to do that. But can you, can you understand the principle once again? You, we, we, can't, we can't truly even confess sin from a place of pride. It can only be done from a place of humility. It can only be done from a place of acknowledging our need to be humbled. It can only come from acknowledging the reality of our brokenness. And as this happened, this is what the church service that day looked like. And you, I, please do read on. I mean, if you haven't read the whole book of Nehemiah during this series, you're missing the instruction altogether. Read the book of Nehemiah, please, for this series. But here's what, here's what they did. They got to this, this day of sackcloth and, and dirt and repenting and prayer and worship. They spent the first quarter of the day reading Scripture. The first quarter of the day. Then they spent the next quarter of the day in worship and confession. And this is why I say it sounds like I got permission from the Bible to make church go a whole lot longer. Worship team, you can come back. We're going to spend the next quarter of the day worshiping and confessing. No, we're not. Now, can you just un please understand with me? There's lots of this that changes a little bit because of Jesus. The ritualistic nature of worship changed when Jesus came. And that's also good news for the record. That the time, though, that they spent, that quarter of a day reading Scripture, the quarter of the day in worship and confession, it's not about the length of time necessarily or specifically, but there is a length of time that's necessary for the process to work in us. There is a length of time that's necessary in your day or in your week that you need to spend in the presence of God so that you reflect the presence of God in your life. And if you're not doing that, you're missing out on the anointing of God on your life. This is the only way to get the anointing of God on your life. You can come up here, you can ask for me to pray for you, that the anointing of God will fall on you, and it might fall on you in some measure. But the way for you to get the anointing of God for you on your life is to spend time in the presence of God. That's it. There is no better anointing than what comes directly from the horn of his altar, from his hand. And while there's lots of principle we could talk about and, and there's lots of teaching we could do to extrapolate and expound on all of that, I just need you to understand this morning that the process of time for Israel is the same process of time that you and I need to walk in. And that time over time with God is what produces anointing and calling and it produces the future God has for you. It produces the conformity to the likeness of the Son in your life. Time in the presence of God brings on the anointing of the presence of God in our lives. So as builders, and we've established already that anyone in this room can be a builder and is called to be a builder of the kingdom of God. And then there's great specifics that need to take place in that. Specific giftings and callings and individual and unique and wonderful things that need to be revealed and understood and that need to come to pass and happen. But any one of us can be a builder. But if we want to be a builder of anything that belongs to God or that will reflect God or that will serve God in the right way, we need to be in the presence of God so that the anointing of God rests on those things we work at. Because I don't want to build a church if it's not under the anointing. I don't want to build a business if it's not under the anointing. I don't want to start a family if that family can't live and partake in the anointing of God. I can't, I can't do it. I don't want it. 
your time in God's presence here on Sunday morning, at home, and at, our, at our different gatherings that we have through the week, our different opportunities to be together, the presence of God in those moments, in those minutes and hours and times again and again are the key to changing the what is in front of you to the what can be in front of you. Your breakthrough will not come if you stay in what is. Healing won't happen if we stay in what is. We need the presence of God. We need to dedicate and to rededicate those things in our life which are of the highest value so that his kingdom can be built, so that the gates of hell will not stand against what the church is doing. These things must be done at a great cost. They must be done at a great passion. They must be done with fervor. They must be done with sacrifice. I don't know if you know what I mean by the whole what is to what can be. But maybe this morning what's in front of you is really intimidating. Like our brother in Christ, Steve Golden. What's in front of him is intimidating. You have cancer. You've got two, two weeks to two months to live. That's intimidating. Guys, we need the presence of God to inspire how we pray. We need the presence of God to enlighten how we read Scripture, how we search Scripture, how we study the Scripture how we know the Word of God and how we live it out in our lives, how we pray that out into our own existence. It's time in His presence again and again that will bring this, that will produce this in us. The message about rededication today is for those of you who are willing to spend the time and to actually be dedicated to something because rededicating will just mean what it did before if the dedication isn't worth it choose where the value will be placed, to commit to the causes that matter most. Our world tells us all the time that we have time for so many things. Yeah, you have time for that. Oh, you have time for that. Oh, for sure, you should make time for this. It's great. You don't want to miss out on it. And before we know it, we say yes to everything and we begin to say no to the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying there's only one thing in life you should be dedicated to. I mean, I'm dedicated to the Lord, His work, His call. I'm also dedicated to my wife. I'm dedicated to my children. Guess what? There's actually not a whole lot of capacity left in my lifetime. But there is some. And so with that remaining capacity that I have, I'm going to choose wisely what I dedicate myself to, what I give myself to. Because I actually am a person of tremendous value. And you are actually a person of tremendous value. You are made in the image of God, just to start there. Not only that, you are individually and uniquely gifted by God. And, and the Bible goes so far as to say that God actually predestined good works for you to do beforehand so that you would walk in them. That's amazing. But you'll miss it if you don't understand what it is to dedicate and to rededicate. The church needs your dedication. Your family needs dedication. Your marriage, your relationship need dedication. It needs your promise, your uncompromised faithfulness. It needs your contribu contribution in worship, in physical presence. It needs all these things the church does, the family does, your business does. And it would all be impossible it would all be impossible except for Jesus. Let's just stand together. I'll leave everything right there for today.
prayer team is going to come up. We're going to sing one last song like we always do. And it's not to manipulate you to create some kind of emotional trance or anything like that. It's just to give us the opportunity to say this one thing. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? That's the question in front of you. God, what do you want me to do with what I heard today? Anything? Nothing? Something? So let's just ask him right where you are. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Maybe you're actually in the place this morning where you want to rededicate something to God. I just want to be clear. You don't have to wait 24 days. You can, you can deal now. But let us deal sincerely with God this morning. Not flippantly, not emotionally, but, but from a posture of a thinking person. A person who is choosing to submit their will. Someone who just wants to be obedient to what God is telling them to do. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I just want to give this to you once again. A sinner, just like every one of us is. And that sin has separated you from God's glory from a relationship with Him. But don't worry. Because you are a sinner in need, God sent His Son, Jesus, His begotten. He took Himself and put Himself in human flesh to come and live a perfect and sinless life so that He would be worthy to take the punishment that you and I deserved. And He did that. He took that punishment to the cross. He died. He was buried. And three days later, He rose again with our victory and our life in His hands. And the way we are restored in relationship to our Heavenly Father is to put our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ to turn from our sin and follow Him. And if that's you this morning, if you need that specific thing this morning, it is so simple and we would really love to talk with you about that. We'd really love to pray with you about that. We'd really love to to maybe help you understand just what that might look like for your life. And so if that's you, we invite you to come as we sing this last song. If you need prayer, you'd like prayer for anything, we're not going to take a long time this morning and give you 10 chances to come. But if you need prayer for anything in your life, healing in your body, restoration in a relationship, anything, I invite you to come and let, let someone on our prayer team stand with you in faith this morning. Father, I ask now in the name of Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, that you would give us the courage and the depth of faith to respond in the manner that is worthy of what you're saying to us in this moment, Lord. Father, help us not to be shallow, but to be deep for you. Help us not to move because of emotion, Lord Father, but because of a desire to be obedient to those things that you're calling us to. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.